Hi, this is Buff, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church Podcast. I think that because you tuned in, you'll better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we're living out our ancient faith in modern times and believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. Today I want to spend a little time looking at our gospel reading today that Deacon Chester just read. A story that maybe you're familiar with at least a little bit, the Good Samaritan. And really what I want to look at today is what does it mean to put religion in its place? And how Jesus did exactly that, putting religion in its place. Now let's talk about religion a little bit. It's a term that gets thrown around, not often understood. It's a very important idea, and it's, it plays an important role in our society. And here I'm not talking about the Christian religion so much, but all religions. They exist to answer questions that we have about life itself. Questions, questions like, what happens when I die? Where is my grandpa, and will I see him again? Where did life come from? These are questions that religion asks, and it does so in a very particular way, a systematic way. By that I mean it takes all of our questions and it attempts to answer them by defining and looking at who is this guy that we call God? Who is he? What does he do? Why does he do it? Religion answers those questions. Religion also gives us principles to live by, laws and rules, ethical and moral questions that need to be answered find their home oftentimes in religion as it gives us moral boundaries to those questions. And ultimately, religion brings some certainty to a very uncertain world. So religious systems are important. They are helpful. Jesus showed up to put religion in its place, in its proper place. And let me explain why that's important. When religion takes its first place, when it takes the first place in our lives, it begins to flex its muscles at the expense of something called mercy. Think about some of the terms that you've heard associated with religion. Terms like child sacrifice. Terms like honor killings. Terms like holy wars. Terms like crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Those are terms that religious folks use. And when any religion becomes the priority, mercy always suffers. But religion also really struggles in the real world. Once we leave this place and try to put religion to its paces, it struggles because life isn't systematic. Life is inconsistent. Life is random. Life is messy. This explains why the rule maker in your family is always frustrated. Maybe one of your parents was a rule maker and the other one was the grace giver. And the rule maker was always frustrated, weren't they? Why can't the kids just follow the rules? If they would just follow the rules, everything would work out. Things would be so much better. And over in the corner, the grace giver parent says, it's okay, it'll all work out. Religion wants life to be orderly, and it's not. The other problem with religion, when it's in that first place in our lives, is that it puts 
its leaders in a position where they become very self-righteous and it puts its followers to inherently be hypocrites. You probably can't believe I just said that, can you? Because obviously I'm a leader here. And so what I am saying about me is that when I become religious, I become self-righteous and anybody who follows me becomes a hypocrite. How is that? Well, here's how religion works. When leaders embrace religion, they dumb down the rules of religion so that the leader can feel like they're at least making an A, maybe an A minus, and they become more and more self-righteous. And then they also become more and more angry because they secretly wish they could commit the sin that they're self-righteous against. And then the followers also try to keep those rules and they get angry. And yeah, pretty much everyone is a hypocrite in that religious system. And maybe you've experienced this. Maybe this is why you've stopped going to church for a while in your life. Maybe you know a bunch of people who no longer go to church for this exact reason. They are sick of self-righteous and hypocritical leaders and churches, religion followers. When religion takes the first place. Now here's the deal. When you read the Gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see Jesus constantly in conflict with the religious leaders of his day over just this point. And here's what happened. Jesus and the religious leaders both believed the law of Moses was important. Jesus and the religious leaders also believed that people were important. They held those values together. What they argued about was the prioritization of those two. Who should be in first? And there was this constant debate between Jesus and the religious leaders over which one was more important, which one should be the important thing. And here's the crazy thing. If you've never seen this before, pay attention. Jesus constantly prioritized people over his religion. And he was the son of God. That's weird, right? That doesn't make sense. Do you think he'd want to emphasize the rules, the rituals, the customs, the traditions? But he didn't. He was always talking about how important the people were, how people mattered first to God himself. And the Pharisees, they never got it. They never got it. They couldn't wrap their mind around what he was saying. And that is what is happening in our gospel reading today. And I hope that you saw this. You have this lawyer. And he's not just a regular lawyer. So if you're a lawyer, take, take comfort. Not, not you. No guilt. Don't have to feel weird. Chester, Deacon Chester came to me and said, is he talking about me? No, he's not. It's a religious lawyer. And this is a guy who has spent his entire life studying the law. The rules of God. And he knows them. Backwards and forwards, up and down, side to side. He knows these rules. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. I love it. It's an important question. It's a question that religion is made to answer. It's perfect. It's what systems do. They define what, how, where do things go here. What, what are the rules that I need to obey to get to eternal life? Hopefully, you've asked that question. Hopefully, you've wondered about this answer. If so, 
Maybe your ears perked up a little bit. Wait, 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 wait. Did he just say eternal life? I want eternal life. I like living forever. Where's this going? Come on. And Jesus does an amazing thing here. Rather than just take the law and the rules and shred them up and throw them away, rather than just tearing down the religious system of that day, he turns the question back to the lawyer and he says, what, what do the rules say? And the lawyer jumps at this. Rules, yeah. I totally know this one. I've got this. I've been studying this forever. Man, I'm going to dominate this question. It's like when I sometimes accidentally ask my wife something about ancient civilizations. Maybe something about the Greek or the Roman Empire, and this wide smile comes across her face. This light comes into her eyes, and she says, Well, why are you asking how the Spartans trained their children to, to uh, study for war their whole lives? Or, did you just ask me about Hammurabi's Code and ancient Mesopotamia? And I know she's got this. I walked into her sweet spot. This is what Jesus does for the lawyer. At least that's what the lawyer thought. So he eagerly answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbors as yourselves. And boom, he just crushes the answer. And Jesus, knowing that the lawyer has given the perfect answer, says to him, You've given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But the lawyer wanted more. He wanted to justify himself by what the scriptures say. Why is that? Why do we always want more? Why do we do this? Why can't we just be happy when we hit the home run and just walk off the field calmly? Why are we these people who want that extra stroke? I do the same thing. And this lawyer is looking to score some extra points, maybe with the crowd, maybe with Jesus. Maybe he wants to just stroke his own ego a little bit and feel better about how much he knows. And so he asks this other question. Well, then, Jesus, who's my neighbor? Now, just so you know, this is a ridiculous, ridiculous question. Yes, because he was a religious lawyer, but, but also because everybody there knew the rules. He knew and everybody knew that religion dictates that your neighbors are the other Jewish folk who live around you. If Jesus was a real rabbi, he knew that when he says, who is my neighbor, Jesus would have to say, taking care of other Hebrews. That was the answer, which is why it is so shocking that Jesus takes this hard right turn and tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Maybe Jesus smirked or had a sly grin when he begins to tell this story because the point is so clearly not religious. God loves everyone, giving grace to anyone in their time of need, thereby making anyone, truly making everyone your neighbor. Mercy. Jesus teach is better than religion and all these rules that you keep getting hung up on knock it off you see brothers and sisters God didn't just create the law and then create some people to live out the law that's not why it exists he created people and then he gave them some rules to help them live out a life filled with mercy but 
when we stopped living out that life of mercy and love, law, rules became our master. Religion became our God. And Jesus is not really interested in this kind of religion. Here's another way of thinking about this. Parents, you don't have children, so someone will pick up the toys in your house. If you didn't have the kids, there'd never be toys, okay? So he didn't make us just to make some rules. But we all grew up in different families. And maybe you had parents who loved the rules. Parents who believed that rules existed for us to get along as a family and to get along in our society, and that if we did the rules, we'd all serve each other and we'd bring about order to our world. And if you grew up in that home, where maybe your mom or your dad or both were all about the rules, and we never break the rules, and a rule is a rule is a rule, and I love rules, and I got a tattoo that says rules, I'm going to bet that your house was very orderly, but that you couldn't wait to leave. You want it out of there. Let me tell you what great parents do. Great parents set rules, and then when it is appropriate, when it is in the best interest of their children, they break those rules. They break the rules. That's what good parents do. This is what your heavenly Father has done for you and for I, and it makes all us religious people extremely nervous. Jesus says, I've come to put religion in its place. And it's not in number one, it's in number two. Now, when Jesus taught about this, when he taught about who our neighbor is, this was not a new idea. This was not groundbreaking stuff. You can read in the Old Testament that one of the common themes for the nation of Israel is that when they would get wound up in these laws and start using the laws against the people of God, when they would try to leverage God's laws against God's people's laws, it would never work. Because here's what would happen. They would begin to mistreat people, and they would think, well, okay, I'm mistreating somebody, but I got a plan here. There are some rules. I will go to the temple. I will go make a sacrifice. And when I make a sacrifice, because God said that sacrifice will be enough, then that makes it all good. And so they just got into the habit of breaking the rules, breaking the laws, treating people badly, and then making a sacrifice to somehow make that breaking of the law better. <laughs> God, I tricked you. Like Catholics do when they want to go, when they do what they want and then go make a confession, or what Baptists do when they do what they want, then quote 1 John 1, 9, confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive them. Done! Woohoo! We got a loophole. Do what we want. And then we can have this peace with God as we use God's word against him. Every so often in the Old Testament, a prophet would show up, like we read about in Amos today. And he would say, you know, guys, that's not how this works. You can't just keep making sacrifices. God is actually not that interested in your stupid sacrifices. And the people would say, ah, shut up, whatever. God told them he has told us to treat people with love and with mercy, and instead we've turned it into just a bunch of rules, a religion where we're not looking to love our neighbor. Instead, we're looking to ignore, to overlook, to even abuse people who are stuck in the ditch on the side of the road, bleeding, in need, and we tell ourselves, that's not my neighbor, no way. I don't have to love them. They're not part of the bargain. I didn't sign up for that. To which Jesus says, really? You sure? 
religious loopholes are meaningless to God because that's not what he's interested in. in. No, he is consistently telling us that he loves us, that he didn't create us to keep these laws that we love so much. He didn't create us, create us so that we could go and kill some animals to make things better. He didn't create me or you or any of us so that we could fill up the pews in this church. What a ridiculously small vision that is. To get a much, much better plan. A better idea. An idea that we don't just love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Because if we did just that, do you see what would happen? If we did love God and there was nothing else, here's what would happen. I would say to myself, did I love God with all my heart today? Sure, because I have no idea what that means. Did I love God with all my soul today? Sure, I don't have a clue where my soul resides or what that is. Did I love God with all my strength? Well, I went for a run today, so maybe that's using my strength. Well, it wasn't really a run. It was more of a walk. I got kind of sweaty. So maybe that's my strength. Did I love God with all my mind today? Absolutely. I said a little prayer right before I ate my breakfast. That's using my mind, right? That's got to be what that means. And we so easily convince ourselves that we're getting the rules right, that we're doing them all. So, just before it gets finished, there's this little bit added onto the end. And your neighbor as yourself. Wait a minute. That just got tricky. Because I kind of know what that one means. But let's clarify it a bit so that we can know what it means to not ignore those around us like we really want to. The truth is, we want to ignore, walk past, look past, sneer at, dislike, hate, mistreat, or be indifferent towards anybody we want. Maybe even now you have somebody in mind that you would absolutely walk past, but you don't want to admit it. It's at this point that we find ourselves sort of shuffling our feet, looking around, wondering when this very painful conversation is going to come to an end. We thought it was going to be good at the beginning, but it's gotten very painful now. And Jesus says to us, as he does to the lawyer, that guy, do for him. Do for him what love requires you to do. Do for him what love requires you to do, which means maybe you don't know what to do. Maybe you're not sure if you're supposed to act or care for or reach out or bless in some way, but do something. Do what love requires you to do. And even the lawyer says it in the story today. Did you see that? He says, yeah, I'm supposed to have mercy. It's so clear. So simple. It's the last thing we want to do, to get involved in someone else's mess to bless them, to love them. I don't even know how. Here's a little phrase that might help you. I heard it this week. When in doubt, help a brother out. How's that? Pretty simple, right? You'll remember that, right? When in doubt, help a brother out. When you do, you put religion in its proper place. That is second. Number two, Jesus never leveraged his theology in order to mistreat a person. He never leveraged his theology to say, I'd really like to help you out, but you know what I believe. And my, what I believe says I can't really help you. I can't really touch you. I can't really look at you or talk to you. Um, it's because I'm a Christian. You know that, right? I'm Jesus. So I can't get involved. 
He never let his theology get in the way of his ministry. Which means, and this is huge, and I really pray that you hear this. Jesus, his conscience, was informed by compassion rather than consistency. His conscience was informed by compassion rather than consistency. What would love require of me in this particular situation with this particular person? And it's so difficult because the rules of religion allow me to disengage. But compassion and mercy force me to stay and care for my neighbor. The truth is this, guys, and you know this. Love demands inconsistency. Love demands inconsistency. Disagree with me all you want, but any parent in the room knows this is exactly true. Love demands inconsistency. But when we put on our religious hat, we forget this. And I know it makes us uncomfortable. But I'm telling you, the moment that we put religion over people, the moment we put our beliefs over someone else, we've gotten exactly backwards. So here's the final thing. I want to sort of sum it all up with this. I'm pretty conv- confident you, we know what our, com- our convictions are. If you don't, we're about to say the Nicene Creed. Those are your convictions. I'm confident we know what our beliefs are. We're about to say them. I know what matters, and I know what's important. We know the rules. But there's got to be more than rules. You are more important than my views. You are more important than my views. You are more important than my views. And that's what I want you to take from this place today. To look at your world and say, you, whoever that you is, is more important than what you believe. That's what I want us to be doing here at Grace. This is what Jesus was doing with this lawyer in our gospel today. Jesus did not die for principles and precepts. He didn't die for the law. He didn't die so that we know the rules and live them out better. He died for people. For me and for you and for them, whoever the them is for you. He died for people, not religion. He died for sinners. He died for people of different ethnicities, different nationalities, people of different political ideologies, different sexual persuasions, people of different religions. He died for all of us. So today, put religion second and God first. Love like he loved. Go and do likewise. Amen. We're so glad you joined us on our podcast today. We hope that you'll take what you've heard and share it with your community. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, find us on Facebook, on Instagram, or online at graceocala.org. Go in peace. Go in peace.